raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping. Hey, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation. This month, we are celebrating Black Futures Month, and we're actually excited to bring you a live podcast recording that happened at our Black Innovation Celebration that happens every year in February. Um, and in this episode, we are live at our event that was attended by about 50 people. We were celebrating our innovation fellows who completed the Black Parent Innovation Lab Cohort 2. The podcast episode will be a live conversation about making the revolution irresistible. It was a panel discussion about the collective power of Black imagination and innovation. The focus of the panel was an informed by a quote by Tony K. Bambara, who adamantly noted that as a cultural worker who belongs to an oppressed people, it is my job to make the revolution irresistible. And so the panel discussed this topic and talked about what are they doing in the world and in their work to make the revolution irresistible and possible within the black community. Our panelists included Javier Woolley, Dr. Natalie Graham, Mark Philpart, and Nicole D. Vick. They were all leaders and parents, caregivers, dreamers, entrepreneurs, innovators, and community members. And they spoke to the importance of creating community building communities of practice, resourcing and financing and investing in black business and black innovation, and also how them being parents actually informs and supports and amplifies their innovation and creativity. So it was a very dynamic, thought-provoking panel discussion. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll have more live events throughout the year, and we'll record them and share them on our podcast, because even if you can't be with us in LA, you're always in our community at Parenting for Liberation. And if you are in LA and you ever want to come to our events, make sure you go to our website and sign up for our newsletter and make sure you follow us on social media at Parenting for Liberation. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. Call and response. Come on, we black. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Trina. I am the founder and executive director of Parenting for Liberation, and I'm so honored to welcome you to our second annual Black Parent Innovation Celebration. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> um, We're so honored to have you here. Thanks for joining us and celebrating Black Futures Month with us as we celebrate black innovation. Um, Tony K. Bambara says, oh, that's me. That was me. There she is. Hi, my name is Trina. I'm the executive director. Okay, Tony K. Bambara says, as a cultural worker who belongs to an oppressed people, my job is to make the revolution irresistible. And one of the ways I attempt to do that is by celebrating those victories within the black community. So here today for our second annual celebration of innovation, our theme is making the revolution irresistible, the collective power of black imagination and innovation. And so one of the ways that I have been thinking about how do we make the revolution irresistible? And one of the ways is that we continue to innovate, create, and iterate. 
Innovation allows cultural workers like ourselves to make the revolution irresistible by creating new and alternative pathways towards liberation. Not only are we making pathways, we are transforming ourselves and other individuals in our community along the journey towards liberation. We make the revolution irresistible by dreaming of new ways of being that honor our humanity and all of our expansive identities. In making the revolution irresistible, the Black Parent Innovation Lab is practicing revolutionary irresistibility and that it provides black parents a space to dream and ideate new possibilities, not only for themselves, their children, and future generations, yeah? As the fellows move through this cycle, which includes radical imagination, radical doability, radical creativity, and centered on liberation and equity at the center, we have provided our fellows with the resources that they need, both financial resources, we invest in black parents, and we also provide them wraparound support, which includes um, healing justice offerings, coaching, mentoring, and community with one another. And when they come, they can bring their babies. We provide childcare and dependent care support because the intention is to provide them with the supports and resources that they need so that they know that this project, this process is irresistible to them. And if they can experience something that feels irresistible, or what we're creating in the container that we're building in the innovation lab, then each of them can go into their communities and begin to plant seeds of revolutionary irresistibility. So each fellow has engaged in their own communities and have impacted and worked with at least 10 other black parents to engage in strategies to solve problems that are in our communities problems that they will talk to you about later and challenges that we've experienced, right? So challenges such as parenting and isolation. Instead of parenting in isolation, our fellows have made solo parenting irresistible. Challenging gentrification in their communities, our parents have made being black in Berkeley irresistible. Challenging capitalism, our fellows are making creativity as a practice for themselves and their children irresistible. So each of their projects that you will hear about, you'll learn about examples of how they are making the revolution irresistible. And so we're also here, as Tony said, she says one of the ways that we can make the revolution irresistible is by celebrating the wins within the black community. And so we're here to celebrate y'all, yes? We're here to celebrate our fellows who have embarked on a six month journey um, I'm sure they can tell you it was a little, it was a little hard and rocky at times. If your families are related to the fellows, you probably got some calls or some tears. Um, but we know that through all of that, there is celebration on the other side and what they're creating is going to make our revolution for our communities, our families, and for ourselves irresistible. So we are grateful that you all have showed up to support them. We are grateful that you are here. And we are so grateful that you all were unable to resist the Black Parent Innovation Lab, right? Yes, all right, you are welcomed in the space. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna have a, a dynamic panel discussion, and then after that, we'll have some jazz music by our good friend Reginald. He's gonna blow some tunes while you go back and go explore our fellows' tables. Some of you have just arrived, so maybe you didn't get to see what they worked on. So we want you to experience them directly one-on-one -on -one in that space. And then after that, we'll come back and you'll actually hear them 
present what their journey was, what they've worked on, what solutions they're creating, and maybe you will be unable to resist their projects and you will wanna join in or support their ideas, yeah? Awesome, we thank you for being here. And with that, we're gonna call up our panelists. So calling to the stage, Dr. Natalie Graham, Nicole D. Vick, Tavier Woolley, and Mark Philpart, grab your seats. Okay, before we get started, and I read bios, because I'm not gonna do that, I'm just gonna invite each of you to share your name, your pronouns, also if you're a parent, they all are parents, um, and tell us a little bit about the work you do so that folks can just know who you are and who you be. We'll start with you, Tavia. Hey, um, my name is Tavia Woolley. Uh, what do I do? I'm an executive director of a nonprofit called the Empower Them Collective in the Antelope Valley, Lancaster, Palmdale, if anybody's heard. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, my work actually is rooted in teaching parents about leadership and policy engagement so that we can shift the narrative and for our communities and ensure that black parents and children um, get to live happy, healthy, thriving with many options. Um, my story is I'm someone with lived experience. Um, I'm a mom of five, yeah, five kids. <laughs> right, five of them, five. Um, and the last three are homeschooled. Um, and, yeah, I, I did, right? And I was just sharing that um, myself and my husband work full time in homeschool. So we have to be very innovative about that process of how we do it, but we really wanted to raise our children in environments where they just get to be their full selves without experiencing any micro microaggressions um, and that we get to cater to their specific needs. Hello everyone, I'm Natalie Graham. I am associate director, wait, no, what am I? Associate <laughs> Dean of Faculty. Um, at Cal State Fullerton Humanities and Social Sciences College. Um, I'm also the director of the Institute of Black Intellectual Innovation on campus at Cal State. Um, I'm a mom as well. Um, I'm a homeschool mom, so I'm like, this homeschool revolution of black parents, the wave is here. Um, I am a former, I was a fellow um, in the first cohort of whoop, whoop. Um, the Black Innovation Fellows. So, so grateful for this work and happy to be here. Awesome. Hi everyone, my name is Nicole Vick. I'm a public health expert. I have about 20 years of governmental public health experience. I've also uh, been an adjunct professor for about 15 years, really big on social justice and health equity. I have a podcast, I'm an author, former, uh, well I did a TEDx talk, so I do all the things um, to really uplift black people. I love my people and I love my community. Lifelong resident of South Los Angeles. Doctoral candidate at the University of Southern California. Um, triple Trojan, so for some reason, I don't know. I have a love-hate with USC. I don't know, I keep going back. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but we're not going back no more after this. this that's, that's it. Um, but my doctorate is in education, specifically on organizational change and leadership. How do we reevaluate, reimagine these systems and structures that were not designed for us? People say the system is broken. It is not because it's working the way it was intended to. So how do we disrupt 
how do we go in, flip tables, throw chairs, whatever, whatever we need to do so that we get these spaces and are in the place that we need to be. Um, and I'm also really big on workforce development. So I'll just say this, my, my dissertation is on the psychological safety of black governmental public health employees. You got us in these systems and structures and passionate about the work. That's why we go into it, but y'all treat us a little, a little funny style. Uh, I'm, I'm saying little, but I'm not, I don't mean little. Okay, I'm just gonna pass. We know what you mean, we know what you mean. You amongst your cousins, we know what you mean. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mark Philpart. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm born and raised in South Central. My elementary school is right across the street. I'm a graduate of Sixth Avenue Elementary School. Uh, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Give it up, Sixth Ave. Uh, and uh, I live in the Bay now. Um, so, I'm, yeah, yeah, hey. I don't know about that, the hypey movement. Um, and uh, I lead the California Black Freedom Fund. Uh, We're a proud uh, funder and partner with Parents Temp for Liberation, and we invest in organizations that are pursuing black liberation, that are getting more black people, everyday black people involved in dismantling systemic racism, uh, doing the work to further long-term structural change, um, whether it's through organizing or advocacy um, and so we support over hundreds of organizations throughout the state doing that liberatory work. Uh, more important than all of that, uh, I'm a husband to Adrian. I'm a parent to Safia, Makai, and Asa. Um, three home births, um, all three being homeschooled. So we are doing everything we can to resist uh, the empire uh, in our household. <laughs> So important. Let's give it up for our panel. Listen, they already dropping knowledge and all they were doing was telling about themselves. So yes, all of our panelists are parents and we know that black parents have always been creative, resourceful, solutions oriented because we've had to be. I believe black parents are the definition of innovation, right? So when y'all reflect on your journey as a parent, but also as an entrepreneur or a leader or a change agent, how are you practicing innovation in your work and in your parenting? Both and. Who would like to start? Do I have the oldest child? I probably have the oldest child. You might. She's an adult. She's 20. She'll be 27 in March. <laughs> she ain't no child, but. You know, they're always your baby. They're always your kid. Um, and I was a single mom. I was a teen parent. My bad. I was a, it was weird. It's weird duality. I was like the valedictorian, uh, salutatorian in high school. But then like that next semester, my bad, walked in the, <laughs> the campus of USC pregnant. Um, and so I think there was a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation because I had to make things work. I had to um, parent her. Um, her father was around. We weren't together, but he was there. Um, and I had to go to school and I had to work. Um, and so there was a lot of this need of trying to balance. But I remember thinking to myself, I'll tell this quick story. When I was at USC, I was asking for help because I'm a teen. I'm, I'm, well, I was pregnant and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate. And my advisor said, well, why don't you take the semester off? And thankfully, I didn't know everything at that time, what, about 18 years old, but I knew that didn't make no dang on sense. That didn't make no sense. 
because I knew that if I left, the likelihood that I would return and finish was zero. Um, and I, like I said, I didn't know much, but I knew that that wasn't the right answer. Um, and I think that a lot of times, and I tell this story and people say, don't call yourself dumb. I say, but I think there's, there's, a, there's a, a wonderful, not, what is it, naivete, how you say that word, about being, I, I, call my, I said, I'm young and dumb, but I, dumb in a good way, because if I had had the brain power of a 40 year old, I would have talked myself out of it. But when you're 18, 19, you'd be like, no, I, I can do this. I can work at Jamba Juice and then go to class. So I think that that, that sort of not knowing actually worked uh, for my benefit. And the whole idea of having to negotiate parenting with co-parent with someone else, to me, is also innovation. How are we going to make this work? Who's going to make sure her homework is done? Um, yes, he gets her to school late every day. She got a truancy ticket. But you know what? That's her daddy. He Y'all figure it out. Um, and letting go. All of those things are, are wonderful negotiation skills that take you into the working world, the entrepreneur world. Um, and I think are really helpful. So I don't know if that answered the question, Trina. But Who answered the question? Okay. I appreciate that. I think the part that I wanted to just, you know, capitalize on is that the naivete. Like, they didn't know nothing. You know, you, you too dumb to know what you can't really do. And I, I would say that that's the innovation that we all need to lean into, that there, the possibility is there. Like, think of all the options. Don't think of what we can't do, who said we can't do it. I, would, I told my husband I would hear people when I was young, and I was at duality, like academic, right, then came up pregnant. Everybody was like, we didn't know you know what that was. I was like, yeah, apparently I did. Sex education, <laughs> very important. Right? But I would, people, would tell, people would literally tell me you can't do this or nobody's done it, and I would literally think, well, they just dumb. They don't know how to do it. Or you just too scared to do it, so I'm going to go do it. And I think there's some value in being, I don't know if it's arrogance, dumb, whatever you want, but we need, now they're calling it Delulu. We all need to have a certain level of Delulu, delusionalness, about our ability to, to imagine a whole different life that we can all have, because that's what I lean into these days. And with my kids and, and people I work with and parents, when someone comes with an idea, I'm like, what? That's crazy, but let's do it. Right, what? That's crazy, but let's do it. Y'all, so y'all say what to me? What? That that's crazy, but let's do it. Yeah, you know, I think for me, I'm really in a place right now of I love the the what you said about imagining because I'm in a place of defining success outside of white capitalist and white supremacist structures. And like not, you know, I kind of grew up thinking like, you know, it, I was taught, you know, white folks can do it, you can do it. So like, you got to go into that classroom and do it and do twice as hard and work, you know, what they learn, you learn, like, and that's the training, that's how you move forward. And so I dutifully moved forward through the academic academy, got my master's, got my PhD, full professor, associate dean. It's like, okay, you keep going, like, you know the system, just keep going forward. And I think right now, I'm really starting to see how important it is to create something that's different with a different way of thinking and a different way, a different vision um, in order to really grow in the most you know, magnificent way. Like that's the way forward. Like it's kind of like the, the um, and, and especially for my son, you know, to think about like 
for me, innovation means not defining success for him in the same ways or using the language um, of folks who don't think he's already magnificent and valuable. So it's like it's very difficult for me to pull, you know, these like sort of same, you know, tricks that I was taught to learn and grow and do and be and like value. And so really thinking differently about value, innovating what I define as worthy and value outside of the capitalist structure, which is hard to do. But that's I think innovation. If I could, yeah, no, give it up, give it up. If I could build on Dr. Graham's points, um, you know, we're with the Freedom Fund starting something new. Um, it hasn't existed before. Um, it's currently housed in the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, but our vision is for it to be an independent black philanthropic institution. And so that kind of bold um, uh, vision and, and belief that we can actually parlay what was supposed to be a five-year initiative into a permanent institution um, has really drawn us into a position or a posture of having to think about what does black philanthropy look like, how do we do it differently, and how do we lean into um, this as an ancestral calling, you know, versus something that is just reflective of what existing white philanthropy is, you know, for, for black people. You know, we're not just putting a black face on it. And so um, I think that has called us to be innovative, creative, um, and, and think about it as part of a revolutionary act. Um, on the home front, uh, I'm the PE teacher. And so, uh, <laughs> so my responsibilities, uh, while uh, s significantly lighter than my wife's, um, are, are, are definitely uh, still important because I have to, have to get them out into the world and get them exposed to things. And then sometimes it's just about tiring them out, you know? So I'm, so I'm <laughs> exactly most of the time. So uh, the creativity there, um, doing that outside of the traditional school system, trying to think about ways to get them involved in different activities. Um, you know, I really relish that. Um, it's not uh, an easy thing to, to kind of step into, but um, you know, it definitely is worthwhile. And I appreciate homeschooling so much because we have so much control over what they are fed. Um, and when we think about Black History Month, you know, we're, it's 365 for us, but, you know, we really get a chance to uh, help them have a different perspective and, and, and own the, the, their history and their culture and their heritage in a much different way. Yeah. Beautiful. Give it up. You know, you all were saying naivety or dumb or anything, and I was like, that's what we call an innovation cycle, radical imagination. To imagine that there's alternative possibilities and not be limited by other people's beliefs about what's possible. And even y'all referencing children, um, as I was researching for this panel, um, there was a quote that I came on that I don't know by heart, but um, Malcolm X had talked about how adults could learn from children how to be willing to take the risk to fail. And the reasons why so many adults fail is because they're too afraid to take the risk, whereas children are like, like you said, this is wild, but let's do it, yeah? And so how can we take back and like, how can we reconnect with our own inner child to give ourselves access to that radical 
creativity, imagination, and even being willing to take a risk, right? Because um, some of us are too afraid to even step out because we're afraid of failure, yeah? So we're going to thank you. The babies were just here chatting away a little minutes ago. Now they're gone. I just gave them a shout out and they left. Uh, they said, don't put us on blast. Uh, <laughs> so, so we know that black-led projects or ideas or even, you know, as you're building out black philanthropy can be vehicles of cultural transformation for the community. Um, Natalie is one of our inaugural fellows from the Past Innovation Lab, cohort one. Um, I'm curious if you could also speak to how these types of projects not only transform the community, but they also transform you in the work. So can you speak to how the work of community change also changes you in the process? That's great. I think like one of the things that I have thought about a lot is like the way that being an innovation fellow, like the way you're poured into, you think about things differently, you work through a process, it really does allow you to get a vision of like, you know, that, that saying that's like, what would you do if you didn't have any like limitations or any, it gives you like, an opening to say like not only can you see it but there's this whole group of people who want you to do the thing you're here to do and like that doesn't happen anywhere else so i i don't i don't see that really happening in spaces in professional spaces so to me like being able to to work with folks who i'm like you actually don't just want me to do a good job you actually want me to do the thing i'm here to do you know and so that that's just different, you know, that's different than like having someone who's like, as long as you do what's good for the college, I'm gonna like give you more money, right? Like that's not a mission, you know, that's not a life's work. And so I think that like, it really does allow me and you, what you said about, you know, having the um, sort of permission to fail or being like, and failure is like built into the model. So it's like, it's just, you know, you, you work and then you figure something out and you're like, oh, it's not working, let's do something else. And then you don't even have that sort of shame that comes with failure in other spaces. So I think that like really being able to put something together that feels like this is what, like this is the work I'm here for. Like I'm, I'm this is not something I'm gonna just do with a project and then like walk away from. This is something I'm carving out space in my life to support and build and grow. And that just does, hasn't happened in other spaces for me, as much as I've you know, learned a lot and, and had good experiences in those spaces. So yeah, I think that's what I would, I would say. Yeah. Oh, we're doing it, we're doing it. Um, does anyone else wanna chime in on that question? Does anyone else wanna talk about you know, how you have personally been transformed in service of the work? Shout out to Mary Hooks. Yeah, love it. Um, you know, I think for, me, I was trained in a way that was um, really focused on the, the 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 study, the science, the you know you 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 get to a place in your education where you feel like oh you got to learn something in order to do something, and um, you know when I started to get into more movement spaces and be proximate with people who were, you know, pushing for liberation in a whole variety of ways and had nothing but their own life experiences to bring to that situation. Um, it really transformed my thinking about how um, powerful it is to just lean into that and to own that and to then use that as the, 
you know, the, the evidentiary basis for, you know, whatever you're demanding from the state or from any entity that has power. And um, I think, you know, for those of us who are in academic settings, um, those kind of privileged places, those ivory towers, um, there's a little bit too much credence put on that. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, the, the closer I got to people in very desperate situations, the more um, I understood how powerful and how palpable that experience was, how important that experience was um, to, to our success, to our um, pursuit of a shared vision for liberation. And so, you know, if there's one thing that I could say transformed me, it was being closer to people um, who were in, you know, very dire circumstances um, and then reflecting on my own experiences as a way to kind of own um, the, the things that I've been through, the things that my ancestors have been through that propel me to push for uh, the change that we need to see. Ashe. Yes, give it up. Because we are, we are our own information. You said we are the evidence. Our experience is evidence, right? And we don't have to go study it because we've lived it. And how can our lived experience inform our work? And all of our fellows utilize their lived experience and then, then from their own personal experience engage with other black parents to, to see, is this resonating? Are other people experiencing this? And then collectively coming up with solutions to those problems, right? And not needing someone from outside to tell us how we can solve it. And so that's really important. How do we honor our lived experience? So as I said, everybody is on here as a parent and too often parenting or the role of being a parent is often seen as a limitation or a barrier. You know, you can't do this as y'all said because you got a kid, um, but we know that's false. And I'm thinking about you, Nicole, because also you've done so many things outside of your nine to five. You've been 20 plus years at, in, in, the, in the institutions and oh, in the system. In, place now, don't in the institutions <laughs> and the systems, in the government. Um, and too often, <laughs> too often, I will not name that place. Too often people believe that you cannot be creative when you work a nine to five. They feel like, no, you need to drop that and get a hustle. You need to drop that and be an entrepreneur, right? Everybody needs to be a business owner and you can't work a nine to five because you're not in service of our liberation if you work and punch a clock. But you, in all of my years I've known you, you've done 511 things. So how have you been able to be innovative and creative outside of those boxes or that nine to five? Sure. So I think there's a couple ways I can approach this. There's there's a, a way to be creative in that space, and you do your own thing, and you just you don't tell nobody, right? You do things. Um, for example, um, and I'll, I'll say this: where maybe there's a job, I'm I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna call you, and tell you about this job, and I'm gonna tell you how to fill that application out. Don't write it like that. Write it like this. That doesn't might not sound creative to you, but it definitely is a is a mechanism to sort of get things to happen for people that may not know about or be able to access, right? So creating an access pathway. The other thing, a friend of mine just was talking to her about the things that I've been doing, and she said, you know, Nicole, you have rewired your feedback loop. And I was like, what in the world? She said, you, a lot of us do not get 
the thumbs up from work. We don't get the promotion. We don't get the raise, right? You're not going to get that at, the, at your day-to-day -day job, your nine-to-five, despite, because we do a lot. We put a lot of effort into because we know we have to be twice as good, right? So we don't get that. But what she said, she said, you have been able to carve out other opportunities for you and you get that fulfillment in a different way. So I have a virtual, I have a video podcast I do every Thursday. I'm bringing black folk on. We talk about black issues in the black community. Um, I do my nails every every weekend. They're not done yet because tomorrow they be done. Um, but I post that. That is my my sense of self care. And I said I called Trina. What, what was was that? Twenty? What year was that? And I said Trina, can we do a nail care self care class? And Trina said yes. And see, I like that about her. She says yes to a lot of things. And we literally had a rented out the little coffee shop up the street and had people come in. And I'm sitting there teaching them how to paint their nails and, and talking about how certain things like that can be a form of self-care. Um, I have written books, talked about my experience. You talked about lived experience. How can I help people see that someone from, you know, literally born and lived on Jefferson or Arlington, which is just down the street, um, and... You know, how did I get to where I am today? I'm gonna tell that story and write that book. Um, there's other things I can't even think of the rest of them, but um, R just real estate. Oh pop -up yes, shops, that too. So fashion. The the family, you know, well, my great grandfather was a realtor, and all that sort of got you know instilled. I remember being a kid, him teaching me how to write a check as a child. Um, and so thankfully we have been able to create that legacy. And now that you got me thinking about it, I said, well, let me have my real estate agent. We gonna open up the backyard. Y'all come in, let's talk, let's talk to them about how to buy property, how to buy a home. Um, and so I, I tend to think of, oh, I'm gonna do a thing, but how can I do something that can help other people? pop-up shops. I literally opened my backyard, got some black women business owners that I loved and said, look, $65, set your table up, sell your stuff. And I would just bring people in and in my own backyard. And I think to what that says is all of us, and I say this a lot, all of us have the power and the ability to do a thing. We do not have to wait for someone else to save us, to come for us, to help us. The Calvary, I, I, it, they, they not coming. They not coming for us. They finna, they gonna pass us up and go over there. It's us. It's so us. we have to be the ones to do the thing. And we don't have to ask, oh, excuse me, can I do a pop-up shop? Who I'm asking? I'm, it's my house. I'm gonna open my backyard. I'm gonna do the thing. I want to do a nail class. Now, I did have to ask Trina because Trina, you know, she got the, the, the funding. But I was like, can we do it? And she said, yes. So, again, what, can, what, what, what talents, what skills, what passion do you have that you can use to transform um, other people? I mean, I'm the person, again, if it's a job opening, I'm, I'm, I'm on Microsoft Teams with my staff showing, opening up the account for the 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 job application showing them, listen, this is how you click on this button, put this in there, show me what you write. You need a letter of recommendation? Okay, I'm gonna get you. Let me tell you this, last thing, I'm gonna stop talking. Um, I have a friend that works at Charles Drew University. She said, Nicole, we got funding for students to get their tuition paid and nobody's applying. I said, come talk to the staff at my job, I have community health workers, health education assistants, these are you know, staff that make more community focused staff, but they don't make a lot of money. Some of them may wanna go back to school. One of them um, said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I attended this, sem this seminar because I've been wanting a master's degree in public health. I just didn't know if I could do it or not. She applied, 
she gave me, I said, send me your, your little personal statement. And I edited it for her, sent it back. We did a couple rounds of that. She applied. I think I wrote her letter of recommendation. That girl got in. And her tuition is zero dollars. So that's what I mean. Use your skills. Use your talents. I'm going to help you. Now, the thing is, now you're going to have to want to do it. I can't want it more than you. But if that's if the case is true that you want it more than I do, I'm going to help you get there however I can. Um, and I think we all need to have that sort of thought process um, in the way that we, we move in the world. Because like I said, they're not, they not worried about us, so we're going to have to be worried about us. I just, oh, can, yes, okay, two quick things, real quick, I, I'm inspired by your remarks, and the, the one thing that uh, really resonated with me is, even for those of us who are blessed to not be in government, <laughs> black, you might be working in a black center organization, um, but still, please do not bottle up all of your passion and creativity within your nine to five. Don't try to get all your satisfaction out of that job. You know, you have pursuits, interests, passions that probably can't be realized in, in that one space. So don't limit yourself. Um, I, that's one of the takeaways that I had. And then the, the other piece around parenting and innovating while parenting is, um, you know, I try to take my kids with me um, wherever I can, um, and when I can't take them, I'm taking pictures so that when I get back, I can talk to them about what I did. And I think it's really instructive, um, even if you don't think that they are paying attention, most of the time my kids are not. Um, they, <laughs> they disrespect my work all the time. <laughs> but, but my hope is that one day <laughs> they will remember, oh, daddy was doing this. And that will, that will resonate in some way, shape, or form, and that might help inform something that they do that is a critical kind of pivotal decision in their life. And so you never know what they will take with them. And I uh, just encourage y'all to, like, even if it's by virtue of proximity, have them with you. I used to take mine to undergrad in, her, in the little stroller. In, in class, and when I didn't bring her, they'd be like, where's the baby at? I'm like, my bad. And the podcast I have, I used to have her as a guest, and sometimes she would lead. Her conversa her topics and her, her point of view is really interesting, being that, what is this, Gen Z? Whatever them 20-somethings are now, I don't know. <laughs> um, I just want to share about the, the 9 to 5. Like, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur, run a nonprofit. Like, a 9 to 5 is nice sometimes, okay, getting that, that paycheck. My first, for real, consistent paycheck, you just do it, okay, right, with some good benefits, right, so, <laughs> a pension, a retirement, all them things, okay, vacation time, stop playing, so, <laughs> my first, right, like, come on now, my first job at 22 years old was a government job, I was a probation officer, Y'all let me, they let me be a probation officer at 22. I had just had my baby, and I didn't even want the job, but my mom was a, a government person, and so she was like, you better get this good government job. I don't want this job, but okay, I got a baby, right? The night before my interview, some people called, my, my mom was like, here, talk to these people, and I was like, oh, what, you, what, do you want me to dance and say something nice like I'm smart, right? 
and it was I don't know at the time I didn't know who it was but they gave me all the questions I can say it now because I don't work for the government <laughs> they gave me all the questions for my interview and told me how to answer them I got 100% on the interview and at 22 I started making 75000 a year I didn't have to let so I thought that's how the game went meaning whenever I had the opportunity I was going to put somebody else on so there, some of us need to have jobs, and there is nothing wrong with having jobs. Just make sure you open the door for the next one. And so I kept that method, I kept that method throughout my whole professional career while working for someone else. And in my, one of my last jobs, I ran all the homeless services program in the Antelope Valley, and I had to deal with the city, a very conservative city. Um, and so I had to report back to the officials of like what we're doing to you know for unhoused people, and they were on a call and they're saying, well, we're thinking about. Going down to L.A., ain't nothing wrong with L.A., but when you live in the Antelope Valley, we, we sometimes want y'all to spend your money in the A.V. with the organizations. And they were like, we're going to go get someone, probably not a black organization, but someone to go do this work in the A.V. And when I heard them say what they wanted, I said, actually, I know a black-led nonprofit. I didn't say black-led, but you know. I said, I know, I know a nonprofit in the Antelope Valley that's homegrown that does exactly what you do. This is what they do all day long, and they're good. And so they're, oh, you know, they gave me that little, oh, okay. And then every time I met with them, you know, that organization I told you about, they're still doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, so, so this person, yeah. That's, the or that's Kim Watson Project Joy is how they got the community house because I kept plugging them in. And so eventually they did reach out and they started to get resources. So there is value in some of us who are fine with having a nine to five to open up the door for resources and opportunities and experiences. Um, that is a part of the revolution, and that in itself is innovative. Beautiful. Listen, put, put people out there. Put people names in your mouth in good ways, okay? Speak highly of people. So as we're talking about, you know, employment and ownership and business, we know that there are over like 3, 3 billion, sorry, there are 3 billion black businesses, but only 1% of black business owners receive loans. And almost half of them have to use their own assets and funds in order to start their businesses. So Mark, you've been out here in these streets, raising dollars, raising dollars for black businesses and nonprofits and initiatives. What have you learned on your journey of getting folks um, to invest in black innovation? Well, first off, um, you know, capital is, uh, is, is just as segregated as our people are in community. And so when you think about where investment takes shape, it is uh, in all the places that we ain't. And what I've had to do as I think about our, our work is really kind of um, almost approach it as a campaign um, where we are making the revolution irresistible to white folks and well I, I don't I don't have all I don't have all the answers I don't have all the answers to What's that the test tips, yet. Mark give us the tips I'm Mark. still I'm, I, I'm still in the I'm still in the yeah exactly exactly I yeah, no, we don't. We don't have all the answers, but um, we are in. We are in the middle of of all that work. Um, that is uh, a very like real process for us to be working through right now, and um, and to our people. 
And in part, you know, my belief is that the resources that we have from the philanthropic sector are probably from the broader philanthropic sector, which is, you know, the majority of white institutions, white-led institutions, I should say, you know, that money is always going to be episodic. Um, the investments that we saw in 2020 um, during the height of the racial reckoning, um, those investments uh, were reactionary. Um, those investments weren't made with a deep commitment to black liberation. Um, you know, they were made because there was an emotional response. Um, and, you know, we can't count on that forever. Um, but we can use that and, and those resources to initiate the building of institutions that we ourselves pour into. And so um, this earlier conversation about we are the cavalry um, is, is one that I take to heart because, you know, I believe that the Freedom Fund will only succeed if we want it to. Um, if, if we are consistently relying upon the uh, good graces and wishes of, of white folks, it, it's, it's not gonna make it. It's gonna, it's gonna make it because we demand it to succeed, um, because we pour into it, because we are given $5, $10 to make the Freedom Fund a real thing. Um, and so that, that is the first lesson um, is that, you know, ain't, ain't nobody out here um, looking to save us. Um, and, we, and, and if we want to have a black-led philanthropic institution, we have to make it so. Nice. It's on us. Beautiful. So a core principle of our innovation cycle is collaboration. And I feel like that's been a theme throughout this conversation. Um, too often we are fighting over very limited resources, right? Um, and there's a sense of scarcity. Um, and so we want to support collaboration over competition and abundance over scarcity. And Tavier, you out there in Antelope Valley, you know, securing resources and figuring out ways to distribute them. Can you speak to how you've built collective power and done some resource sharing in the Antelope Valley? Ah, uh, yes. So um, I know my lane. I know it well. This is the hat I wear. I don't veer off into too many other lanes. Um, and so I think effective collaboration, everyone has to know the lane that they're in um, and that there's going to be something for you in that lane. So uh, when opportunities come to me, because maybe I have the relationship with whoever it is, but it's not what I do, I am confident in bringing in the organization who does do that and passing off that opportunity, um, vetting them, you know, essentially because you came to me because you have a relationship with me. So now I need you to have a relationship with the other entity and know that if I'm saying this is good, then give them the same opportunity. And so um, we did something that is really unheard of in the Antelope Valley because it's very small, very good old boys club, very low on resources. And so six black-led, uh, female black-led organizations decided to come together and start going after funding that would traditionally go um, be applied by or go to the larger um, white nonprofits in the area. And so we just had this, what, that's crazy. Well, let's do it. <laughs> Literally, we're like, y'all, so there's some money. 
and and they had like a um a, a dollar baseline and we we're like we don't oh, we don't individually we didn't have it as an organization but collectively we did and so we had to come to jesus talk and say y'all if we do this we gotta trust that everybody gonna do what they do and so we said we're gonna do it here's the parameters and we applied and we started to get we got that funding and because we got that funding more people start to say we want to invest in the community because of the collective work but we know our lanes that we stay in we do it well we lovingly hold each other accountable and we whenever opportunities are coming that isn't for us we pass it off to the next person and we know that there's an abundance of more resources coming and so i think so far since we in the last two years the alliance because that's what we refer to ourselves i think we have hit a million coming into the region based on our work uh, give it a radical collaboration anyone else want to speak to how they practice radical collaboration that's amazing a million dollars in in the antelope valley is yeah. is like manna from heaven it's like water in the desert yeah so <laughs> I appreciate you doing that work. Um, this is this question. This is our closing questions for everyone. So this is to support our fellows. So over the last six months, our fellows have worked tirelessly um, to address gaps or barriers in the lives of black families. Shout out to our fellows. Yes. As I said, during that journey, well, y'all, is it true? Oh, during that journey, there was some tears, some fears, some cussing. I'm not ever coming back now. <laughs> okay, there were some ups and downs, highs and lows. Um, and that was in the last six months for them. Y'all been doing this on this stage. Y'all been doing this kind of work for years, you know, for 20 plus years. And so how have you been able to stay in the revolution, which is a long game? You know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's the long game. How have you been able to stay in the fight this long? And how have you been sustaining yourself? And how have you been making this work irresistible for you because it makes you continue to do it man that was a good one um i look for the breadcrumbs that lead me to the intersectionality of something else uh, i opened my statement with i i'm someone with lived experience i said i had five children my second son passed at birth and if anyone um is familiar with the african-american infant and maternal mortality initiative um, I carried that grief in secret for, I don't know, 13 years before I ever publicly spoke about my son, this the grief and the trauma. And when I finally did speak, I found purpose in what I needed to do. Um, but for years, I felt like I didn't belong. And so I would just encourage you to, whatever you are, whoever you are, however you see yourself, there is a path for you. There is a path for you. I was labeled, don't respect authority. You just can't get along with everybody. Why you gotta be so different? Why can't you just be content? And I would change a job every two years. Don't trip. Like, <laughs> one or two years, I'd be like, I got to go. And then people, some of my employers would be like, I noticed on your resume, you, you jump a lot. Well, well, I wanted to see the world. So that's what I would tell them. But <laughs> 20 plus years later, all of those experiences, the grief, the trauma, the many jobs, the, the perseverance prepared me for the day such as this. So no matter where you are at, please hold tight, hold on to who you are because it will come. And let today be a breadcrumb that carries you on to the next point so you can find where you fit in all this and that you can live abundantly and authentically 
Y'all come to my office, you'll see my kids homeschooling right there. I'm going to have a meeting. My kids going to be homeschooling. And then, you know, I get to pour into other parents. So there is a place for you wherever you want it to be. Just remember, what? That's crazy. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. I love that. That's inspiring. I think for me, like, the thing that I, you know, there's a, two things that I keep thinking about, you know, as you, you know, ask that question is, one, um, not to sort of give myself grief about the things I had to do to get where I'm at, right? So it's like, you all, all make choices in our lives, and maybe, like, you're not happy about a choice that you made, or, you know, you didn't do the right thing, and I think that part of, part of sustaining myself has been able to forgive myself at all the stages. Um, and the other one that I'm really learning now after the last handful of years is that like, um, stop invest, stop um, and putting seeds in bad soil. It's like, these people, you out here giving all your seeds and you're like, why can't this grow? And it's not you, it's not your plan, it's not, it's the, leave that job. <laughs> go somewhere else. The soil please. is not fertile. The you soil know, so is like, not fertile. Stop. I mean, that for me is like the next, the next step, the next vision. And said a whole word right there. I'm like, wow. I think for me, I'm really big on my ancestors, and I, I, I know where they came from. My great, my great grandparents came to Los Angeles in the 1930s, so almost 100 years ago. We're business owners, and I, I, I know and am fully. Uh, confident that I stand on their shoulders. So that literally is like the baseline for everything that I do. And then the other part of that, an extension of that is, I feel like it's my responsibility as a black woman to make sure that the people that come after me have a light, a path, a way forward. And it's, it's my job to make sure that that happens however um, I can do that. So I think that's literally like the, the, the ground that I stand on, the foundation of everything that I do. Um, it drives all actions. And, and I'm going to say this, too. This doctorate degree, I'm, I'm smart already. I know that. But up in that library and starting to research and dig and understand how some why these things operate the way they do. Because it's one thing to have lived experience and understand it that way. It's another to have a little inkling. But when you literally see it in writing that this system was not built for you and the seed site it's in it's in the thing it's not nobody's making this up and i'm like so what the hell am i doing what to your point why am i so upset about a thing when I, at the end of the day the thing wasn't supposed to be that to, for me why am i so upset and angry so with that realization Nicole has become very, very vocal. If you, if you look at my LinkedIn, you're going to be like, ooh, that's why you didn't put your job. <laughs> why you changed it? Because it's like, no, I, want, I need y'all to know that these spaces are not for you. But if you can't quit because you got a pension coming, you got kids and grandkids, you got to stay there, I'm going to help you. I'm going to light this path for you. And I think um, to that point, Trina, I was going to mention my, the latest anthology is called Triumph in the trenches and it's about helping black people navigate through work because again all of us can't quit and be entrepreneurs somebody got to go turn the lights on and do the thing for the for the entity they work for state federal whatever we still have to work um, to eat um, but we also have to recognize that these spaces are not built for us but how do we navigate through and I think it's really really important about that so triumph in the trenches I call it the green book but for black working people do y'all know what the green book was Right. So how do we navigate? Literally, we coming from Oklahoma to Los Angeles. How do we get there alive? 
Which gas station is the one to stop at? Which hotel is the one to stay at? This book is a similar thing because across all industries, we are often done the worst, treated the worst. And for some reason, like you said, you planting in this soil that's not made for us, but we stroking out and, 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 and having these issues because the work is killing us. No, no, no. How do we make this work for us? If we gonna sit up in here and do this, how do we make this work for us? So I hope that answered the question. Yes. Now, y'all didn't leave any meat on the bone. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, that, yeah, the, 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 the plate is clean. I don't know what else to say. I will I will offer one thing. I mean, in terms of, you know, what do you, the practice for me that I use to draw on to keep me going, um, you know, one is ancestral, is spiritual. Um, you know, I do a lot of prayer, reflection, study. Um, and I think in part, the other piece of that is always, keeping some sort of positive mindset, some sort of like optimistic mindset is so critical to being able to allow you to endure and sustain and thrive within the work you're doing. It's easy, it's so easy to fall into, oh, they ain't letting me do this, or they ain't letting me do that, or it ain't enough for this, and they ain't enough for that, and we can't do, I mean, it, 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 and it just is a slippery slope. And you will find yourself recanting these things on such a regular basis that you can't see the opportunity if somebody slaps you in the face. And so I try to, whenever I get like that, take a step back. Because it happens. I mean, we are human. Um, and, and recalibrate and, and think about the opportunity the positivity, what is, what is the lesson? What is the, what is the way forward? Um, and, you know, you have to surround yourself with people that are going to join you in that thinking. Um, because what happens is that negative mindset, when it creeps up, and if you got people who just become the echo chamber, next thing you know, y'all a choir of negativity. And, and next thing, and you can't, you can't, you can't navigate nothing. Y'all all mad, y'all all sad. And, and so, so how do you stay away from that? Um, I think it's important, it's critical for us as people who have lived through generational trauma uh, to, to really think carefully about that and to be not ignorant to all the, the peril and the, you know, the, the, the trauma that has occurred, you know, like you want to recognize that, but you also don't want to stay in that place. And so that would be the, the one offering to share with y'all. And thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful. That radical hope, possibility, and radical imagination that although the conditions or the soil here is not fertile, that there is another place to plant our seeds. And one of those places is with the Black Parent Innovation Lab. Thank you so much to our panelists. Give them a hand. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all your brilliance that you shared. Oh, we have little goodies for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. 
please like us on all social media at Parents of Deliberation. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.